0: I love your apartment, Brian. And Frank is so well-behaved. Yeah, we're best buddies. I'm going to grab some Bud Lights. Okay, you're so cute. Oh, I think uh, you're cute, too. Yeah. Talk? Baby, I do a little bit more than just talk. Well, let's cut the chit-chat. Head upstairs or we can, uh, you know... <laughs> Whoa, well, here he comes. Act natural. Fresh, smooth, real Bud Light. I'll be right back. So how do you feel about back hair? It's all
1: here. Perdomo, look at this, Hayward back at the fence, can't get it, gone!
0: A swing here from Perdomo in that 3-1 count, and he got all of it. Oh.
1: It's our it's fair, and it is, and this ball is way gone. Well, this is what you know about Lance Lynn, he gives up homers. Same pitch, it looks like. Yeah, just a
0: cutter that he never got in, just a spinner over the middle of the plate.
1: Boom, he hurts him every bit as much as Coward had. that. Here's another shot to deep left, down the line, it's down!
0: Three solo home runs. Hanging breaking ball there from Lance Lynn. Fish and but he might have to go to him earlier. Right field, Hayward toward the line,
1: near the foul pole ball,
0: home run! Yeah, might be worth a challenge. Hard to believe that Morales didn't have a better view of it than anybody else. Looks foul to me. Uh, they have a vested interest yes, in this Yes, they do. But you know what? The camera doesn't lie in this case and it looks foul.
1: Nicole on the field is confirmed. Foul ball. 2-2 two, two count. They had a good look. So, Christian Walker. As the home run goes. And then hits the next pitch to the moon. There's your fourth home run.
0: Podcast Network proudly presents Backwards K-Pod. And now, here's the host of the show, Jake Robinson. I
2: never move a slow-mo. Welcome to my dojo. Those other parts are so-so. I'm chill like bro-yo. Broke us like a GoPro. ripping up this promo. Check out the school board. something. I'm no-no. It's going, it's going, it's going. Go it's going. Your horn just stop. cause Jake got strong and mighty. undefeated. I mean it. Pull up the pots pull it down and read it. Written produced, directed, and mixed. Don't on your lips and Ozzy Smith back lips. Pick a tip, any tip, get onto it. I got ridiculous pods without forcing it. You sit at home crying like you girl. a girl. That I spread the gospel around the world, yo. The pods are written behind tracks that mixed in. Smooth with the groove to make ears want to listen. Now a little gun and a rhythm to back it up. Another show to my name, now watch me stack them up. You think another white rap back, but this ain't no ad My hobbies are rhymes, some people trying to be black, but bad. About time I'm Come out, call the show, PKP 11, turn it out, yo Name Jake the Snake, born in 71 Date, you know what time it is, I'm packing them guns No experience, I've been a witness to glory And that's why I collect ball players and their stories You heard? So, once again back is the incredible, the pod animal, Jake the Snake Robinson from the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. I'm coming out of paulie's Island South Tagalegi, half man, half podcast machine, back in Gabby chairs, shields down, both sides up, prepare to engage on this week's digital audio program. That I call Backwards K Pod, where we collect ball players and their stories. What's cracking, you cement freaks? What's Gucci? Welcome back into the dojo for yet another week of the Baseball Podcast Show spanning the globe. Backwards K Pod, a weekly show where I like to take these little introspective glances into the moments, players, Personalities and pop culture that have led to the evolution of the national pastime into the product that we all consume today here in the modern age.
0: Hello, everybody.
2: I'm Jake Robinson. I got your hook up. Holler if you hear me.
0: I'm so grateful to have all of you in my extended family as the
2: 2023 season is coming to an end and I'm about to enter into my four month void that I call the off season. Thankfully, I have this platform and audience as I will be doling out these shows during the off season. I mean, look, unlike the MLB network, I show up to work during the offseason. No reruns, no program filler, no weeks off. Alec Thomas just struck out, bottom of the seventh. The Texas Rangers are up 3 to nothing, game three of the 2023 World Series. And I will never charge you for the baseball content here at Backwards Cape Pod. I'll be here all winter, talking seams. I don't care if there's only five listeners. I used to drink a lot of the off-season, engage in crime. Thankfully, uh, you know, this show and audience has motivated me to do something else. And speaking of this audience, a brand new listener, Michael Murphy out of Perrysburg, Ohio. That's Jimmy Leland's hometown, by the way. And we've been going back and forth all week on IM. And Michael was a little frustrated when he threw on the Jimmy Fox show from last week, and I spent the first 10 minutes talking about the playoffs. And at first, look, I, I was a little defensive, but we talked it out. I mean, you know, that's that's the way things used to always be. It didn't have to be so contentious. You got one side. I got the total opposite. You know, like a lot of things that go on in the world today. But look, we talked it out, and I, I think I made a new friend, actually. And here's the thing, folks. I don't know if you guys have figured this out yet. I fucking love baseball. It's my passion in life. It drives me. It is literally a part of me. I I guarantee when I die, someone at the funeral is going to mention my love for baseball. Without a doubt. In many ways, the game of baseball has become my identity. So, here's the thing. I figure podcasts... YouTube, they got these fast forward features to skip through what you don't want to hear. And they got the rewind feature in case you missed something. If you don't care what my top takes are, by all means skip them. It's not going to hurt my feelings. I run my format like a baseball radio show. And BKP is not only my collection of personalities, moments, and stadiums, but I also try to open it up, share my connection to the game with the audience, and give my takes that I kind of sit on during the week. And there is literally less than a week of baseball left. So this may be the last time you hear me get a long-winded uh, open on those topical issues for a while. I'm a man and a show by the people, for the people. I'm here to serve you, c If you guys prefer, I don't give my topical taste to kick off the show, man. I, I won't. Honestly, folks. And the OGs know, I try to bring energy and enthusiasm and passion to the show every week. Talking about, you know, these topical baseball items, they, they get me going. Now, I'm not whining, but, you know, look, it's, it's hard to have a bad day behind you when you grab a hot mic. Sometimes you feel down and the energy is lacking. I, I got to go all balco on this shit. I do whatever I got to do to fit the passion standards you expect. From Jake the Snake. I mean, there's a flow to my game. I respect Michael Murphy and anyone else who takes time out of their day to listen to me pontificate the themes. I'm a down-earth person. Send me a message through email, whatever. I am on Facebook. That was a great conversation. He agreed to use the fast-forward feature. I have an open-door policy that I stand by with you freaks. Okay? So. With that being touched, I'm going to hurry up and I'm going to jump right into the show for my new friend Mike. And that's the first out of the top of the eighth. Texas is up 3 to nothing on Arizona. And the World Series is now tied up one game apiece by the Rangers and the D-Packs. I will have the game on while I do the show tonight. And ironically, this week's show... It's about the home of the nationally champion Arizona Diamondbacks, Chase Field. My, I made my season schedules a year before. There was no way I could have even considered doing this show on this week, on this night, back in November 2022. This is all baseball providence right here, baby. So, where was I watching this game? Corey Seager is a beast. I mean, he is just straight up scary. So the catcher has thrown the ball down a second. The umpire has called play ball and that infield is throwing that seat around with a little bit of swagger right now. So that's my cue to tell you freaks to kiss and hug your loved ones goodbye as we clear the platform here at Terrapin Station and load up my BKP time travel choo-choo. I'm calling all aboard. Uh, uh. And it's not really about time or destination this week, folks. The time is now, and the destination is Phoenix, Arizona. We're going to the World Series, freaks. Because, like I said, this week, we're going to talk the history of baseball in the state of Arizona and Chase Field, home of the Snakes. And as we head out to Arizona... To catch this World Series game atmosphere, let me give you a little backstory on how Major League Baseball came to the Valley in Maricopa County in the first place. And then I'll dig into the structure known as Chase Field. In the almost three decades since the Diamondbacks' inception into the baseball universe, the franchise's front office has been a relative model of consistency, uh, a standard uh, set by the fact that the Snakes have had only two managing general partners in the team's 29 years, and that's a term they used for CEOs Jerry Colangelo from 1995 to 2004, as well as current CEO Ken Kendrick. The actual ownership of the club has been far more divided. Dozens of investors backed former Phoenix Suns owner Jerry Colangelo's original consortium, Arizona Baseball Incorporated, in 1995. And currently, Ken Kendrick leads a four-man ownership group that includes Jeffrey Royer, Michael Chipman, and Dale Jensen, all of whom have owned at least a portion of stakes in the club since its inaugural year. In contrast, the d on the field performance has been spotty ever since those early seasons. The team was damn near an instant contender for the chip as a young franchise in the MLB fraternity. They've also had years of disappointment and now, through solid draft picks and savvy trades for young pre-armed talent, the Snakes are playing Game 3 of the World Series And Chase Field, as I record this show, and here comes uh, Arnautus Chapman. I don't know if that's the bottle of kerosene you want to use to put out a fire. We'll see. It's 3-0 Texas in the 8th. The arrival of the D-backs to the Phoenix Metropolis was preceded by a half-century of close ties between the sport of baseball and the Valley of the Sun. Arizona State University is widely recognized as an elite collegiate baseball program that has been a blue-blood power since the mid-1960s. They've made 22 College World Series appearances, they've won five championships, and they've been runner-up five times. And that school has produced... Numerous major league stars such as Sal Bando, Reggie Jackson, Barry Bonds, Dustin Pedroia, Bob Horner, among others, since the 1992 Metropolitan Phoenix has hosted the 16 Arizona Fall League, which. I love the Arizona Ball League. It's a league that provides hot young prospects a chance to play in a highly competitive atmosphere once their AA and AAA seasons have expired, uh, or are in the process of expiring. Metro Phoenix's most significant connection to the MLB has been as the primary host of the Cactus League. Arizona has been home in the Cactus League since the aftermath of, of World War II. In 1947, Bill Beck, then the owner of the Cleveland Indians, decided he was tired of packing all the gear and the expensive cost of traveling more than halfway across the country for spring training. Uh, He lived in Arizona. Uh, You know, it's ridiculous. He decided to set up Indians camp 120 miles, which is about 193 kilometers for those outside of the United States of America that used a metric system. So it's 120 miles, 193 kilometers southeast of Phoenix in Tucson, Arizona. And he then taught New York Giants owner Horace Stonem, to join the Indians in Arizona. And Stonem planted his flag in Phoenix in 1952 the Cubs began their spring training uh, camps in Mesa, just east of Phoenix. The arrival of the Cubs and a few on-again, off-again relationships with other clubs over the next few years and helped to formalize the existence of the Cactus League and branded the Grand Canyon State as a spring, t- spring training destination counterpart to the Florida's Grapefruit League. And throughout the 60s and 70s, oh boy, Montero, he just cracked a leadoff double out in the right field. I'm telling you, I don't trust Arnoldis Chapman at all right here, Rangers fans. So you got a man on second, no outs, bottom of the eighth. And I haven't seen who's up yet. Who's up? It looks like Perdomo. Okay. Man on second, no outs, Perdomo at the bat. We'll see what happens. So, like I was saying, throughout the 60s and 70s, the Cactus League had remained a small yet stable operation, growing slowly but surely to an 18-league after rapid expansion from 16 to 26 teams. Several of the Midwestern clubs in the Cacti, particularly the North Siders, they turn that spring training home. It's a popular winter tourist destinations for their fan base as well as you know there's home away from home for several residents uh, for seasonal residents or the permanent residents who eventually transplant to Arizona. In 1990, the state passed legislation. That created a Maricopa County Stadium District governed by the County Board of Supervisors. The measure authorized the county to collect a $2.50 car rental tax as revenue to help revitalize existing spring training facilities as well as the construction of new complexes. I've got one eye on this because, I mean, this guy's a nightmare. It's 2-1 against Perdomo, man on second. That $2.50 car rental tax in 1990, that's about $6 in the 2023 economy. Four of the publicly financed facilities created by legislation are shared by two minor league clubs, and there's a base hit into field. Montero scores on a single by Perdomo, and it's three to one in the bottom of the eighth with one out, and I'm telling you, Arnaldo's Chapman is gasoline to a bonfire, folks. I mean, you know, what are we, this guy, he's, I call him, you know, Shadow, the shadow of a former self. Four of the publicly financed facilities created by legislation are each shared by two minorly clubs. The state's significant public investment helped lure a number of franchises to the Cactus League as 15 of the 30 Major League Baseball teams began their new campaign in the geographically compact compact Phoenix metro area with only one team playing outside of Maricopa County. The Maricopa County Stadium Authority, which was... Ostensibly created to save the Cactus League and, and played a decisive role years later in the arrival of the Diamondbacks by providing the region with a public institution capable of financing a ballpark costing several hundreds of millions of dollars. During the 1980s, Metro Phoenix was one of the fastest growing cities in America with a population reaching 2 million residents by 1989, making it the 14th largest metro market in the country. Martin Stone, the owner of the Phoenix Firebirds of a San Francisco Giants AAA affiliate team, was the first driving force in the pursuit of bringing Major League Baseball to the Valley, either with an expansion team or a relocating franchise. Now, Bill Bidwell, the owner of the NFL St. Louis Cardinals football team, made it clear that he had every intent of moving his team to Phoenix in one of the worst-kept secrets in sports history. Stone saw an opportunity, and he seized on the moment by persuading Bidwell to join him in a collaborative effort to build a multi-purpose stadium in downtown Phoenix. In April of 1987, the city agreed to $150 million in bonding to build a 70,000-seat dome stadium on a 66-acre parcel of land in the southern section of the city. $150 million in 1987. It has the purchasing power of a little less than half a billion dollars in 2023. It's right around $400 million and some change. The stadium was to serve as the springboard to a $500 million downtown redevelopment plan that would include public and private investments in commercial and retail space, hotels, and housing. To pay all the construction bonds, Stone or any other prospective tenant would have to agree to turn over the proceeds from the sale of the 212 luxury boxes and almost 11,000 club seats to the city and all of these plans would be executed once a major pro sports franchise signed a lease to play in the building. So in January of 1988, Bidwell wins approval from the NFL to move his California uh, to move his Cardinals to Arizona, but instead of becoming a tenant of Stone and the city in the planned domed crib Bidwell signs a long-term lease with ASU to play cards games at the football-only Sun Devil Stadium. The Big Sombrero out in Tempe, just east of Phoenix. Inevitably, the maneuvering by Bidwell brought Stone's vision for a dome stadium to collapse. In May of 1988... Stone officially backs out of his deal with the city, maintaining he could no longer negotiate a lease from a position of strength, as he had neither a franchise in hand nor another tenant with whom to share the burden of financing. So, without Stone's backing and influence, stadium play- plans languished. <laughs> In November of 89, nearly 60% of the Phoenix voters rejected a ballot initiative that would have allowed the issuance of $100 million of the previously authorized bonds for the Dome Stadium. And big league insiders made it very clear to Arizona leaders that public support for a a stadium uh, was a prerequisite for serious consideration for a new franchise. So Stone returns to his home in Lake Placid, New York. And he makes an unsuccessful attempt to become a partner in purchasing the Montreal Expos. And there is little to no indication that Stone was ever attempting to buy the Expos and move them to Zona. The evidence suggests that his interest was in buying and keeping the club in Quebec. So, after this initiative fails, the state legislative branch, they passed a law... Allowing the city to bypass a referendum in their push for a big league baseball stadium. And that shit happens all the time, right? Why do we even have people that make laws? If the voters there decided they don't want to pay for that shit, you should respect that. But we, this isn't the first city where we've seen that happen. We've seen this happen in Seattle, with the Kingdom, and with the, with the, with the, with the, with the, the Seattle Pilots. You know, they just decide, oh, well, you guys voted on it, so what? We're going to overrule your vote. And it doesn't make sense. The legislature also authorized the county board of supervisors to oppose a 0.25% sales tax adjustment to help finance construction of a baseball-only crib if one of these municipalities was ever awarded franchise. So, Denver and Miami or awarded new baseball franchises in 1991. And while Martin spent a half-decade in his single-minded pursuit of luring a new or existing franchise to Phoenix, the beat that actually brought the stakes to Arizona came together in a much, much more uh, serendipitous way in early 1993. Maricopa County Supervisor and longtime Phoenix baseball supporter Jim Bruner began discussing putting together a package for the forthcoming new round of expansions with his good friend Joe Garziola Jr., the son of the former baseball player, personality, and commentator. So later that year, the two of them they set up a sit down with NBA Phoenix Suns owner Jerry Colangelo one of the most popular public figures in the region, and a fervent booster. So they go to him to discuss their ideas. And at this time, Colangelo and his sons, they're experiencing uh, unprecedented enthusiasm and support in the region with the exciting run into the NBA Finals against Michael Jordan and the Bulls. Bruner and Gergiola persuaded Colangelo to spearhead the effort has the face to bring in a baseball team. And taking on this role, it meant that Colangelo not only had to manage a $125 million fundraising drive to pay for the anticipated uh, franchise fee for the 1994 expansion, he also took on the responsibility of negotiating a public financing deal for a downtown crib. Colangelo took on the challenge willingly. Several years later, uh, seven year, several years earlier, he had gone through this process while seeking public funds in support of a new venue for the Suns. And he was also playing a central role in negotiating a deal that would eventually lead to the relocation of the NHL's Winnipeg Jets to Phoenix America's West Arena, where they were introduced as the Coyotes in 1996. And the Coangelo story is your basic rags, the richest American dream of a story. He was raised the son of a hard-working Italian immigrant in a hard-nosed section of Chicago Heights in Illinois. A high school basketball star, he earns a free ride to hoop for the fight in the line Eye, where he becomes captain of the team and earns all Big Ten stats Upon his graduation in 1962... He eventually found work with the Chicago Bulls, and he rises quickly through that front office. By the time Colangelo leaves the Bulls six years later, he is the franchise's director of marketing and their chief scout. So in 1968, the expansion sons hired the 29-year-old Colangelo as their first GM, making him the youngest ever in the poor professional team sports of America. He transforms the team into one of the NBA's most uh, best-managed and successful franchises. During his 35 years as a Suns executive, the team was a consistent fixture in the Western Conference playoffs. And they played before loud, boisterous crowds. First at the Arizona Veterans Memorial Coliseum on the state fairgrounds, and then in its downtown venue of America West Arena. And despite never winning a chip, here are n- numerous NBA Executive of the Year awards. In September of 1993, Coangelo announces the formation of Arizona Baseball Incorporated, whose purpose was to bring a Major League Baseball team to Phoenix. And Jerry's inside status and NBA success, it made Zona's bid an immediate frontrunner in the expansion chase. More than two dozen limited partners bought into Arizona Baseball Inc., including executives at Bank One Ballpark, I'm sorry, Bank One of America, uh, Circle K, Phoenix radio station KTAR. Chucking Magnet and future Coyotes owner Jerry Moyes, comedian Billy Crystal, and Suns All-Stall forward Danny Manning. And after the formation of you know, this group of heavy hitters here, Coangelo begins negotiating a financing deal for a downtown Major League Baseball ballpark. And even though Jim Bruner was excited to bring a team to the region and had been the voice, along with his buddy Gary Ziola to talk Jerry into pursuing the challenge. As a member of the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors, the fiscally conservative Bruner informs Coangelo that there would be no tax increase in the 0.25% sales tax unless the residents of Maricopa County receive a good deal in the facility. Ostensibly, uh, Coangelo agreed to to, uh, set up terms that same county taxpayer is more than $40 million on the deal. And the deal that the two worked out, it capped Maricopa County's sales tax contribution at $238 million. That's about a half billion dollars today in 2023. It gave ownership of the ballpark to the county, and it guaranteed the county's one-third of the annual earnings from naming rights. So in 1998, Bank Bank 1 acquires naming rights at a cost of $70 million for 10 years. The financing deal provided the county with an escalating annual revenue guarantee based on ticket sales while requiring the team to pay for the maintenance of the ballpark. And in return, the county granted the team a 30-year lease as a primary tenant. Despite some misgivings with the final deal, Coangelo agreed, realizing if he alienated an alley like Bruner, the negativity may lead to other county supervisors to vote no. And there was a lot of negativity about it. All these guys that voted for, you know, the the new taxes and all that, none of them, uh, none of it came out good. In fact, one of them got shot because of her vote. So, Yeah, this was a very contentious moment, and it could have went either way. I mean, it it really could have gone either way. No one could have blamed Colangelo if he would have just packed up his tent and left. So, with his deal in hand, Colangelo makes his expansion pitch to Major League Baseball owners in February of 1994. He emphasized the booming population in the Phoenix metro area, the region's history of enthusiastic support for collegiate spring training and fall league baseball, as well as his own personal success with the NBA Suns. And within a few days of hearing Jerry's impassioned plea, the owners awarded Arizona Baseball Incorporated an expansion franchise. They would also award Tampa Bay a franchise as well, and both teams were to begin playing opening day 1998. In 1995, the Arizona Republic newspaper held a name-the-team contest. The nickname Diamondbacks won the contest, and the team adopted a late 1990s palette of team colors. Purple, turquoise, black, and copper. Horrendous. I mean, you know, let's be honest, folks. I You know, you guys know that was horrendous, right? Jared persuaded his partners. To call the team the Arizona Diamondbacks instead of the Phoenix Diamondbacks to cultivate a statewide sense of pride and ownership. Jerry hires Joe Garziola Jr. as the team's first GM and later that year the two hired Buck Showalter together as the team's very first manager. And, you know, that's coming, like, literally just days after being fired by the New York Yankees in the wake of, you know, the team's playoff loss hit its first postseason appearance in 14 years. It's Buck Showalter's fault. Yeah. The Snakes fielded their first minor league affiliate in 1996, with Showalter keeping a steadfast and watchful eye on the farm. Showalter and Garagiola, they, they butted heads frequently over the direction of the young club, Buck preferred a steady player development program and a rock-solid farm system, while Garagiola adopted a win-now mentality and being a free agent player on the market. An approach that Coangelo favored as well. Showalter would be fired after the 2000 season. The win-now ideology was clearly on display on November 18, 1997 in the expansion draft. Coangelo believed the taxpayers deserved an immediate competitive club for the investment they had made for Bank One Ballpark. He also deduced that if the Snakes were not a competitive team right off the rip, they would not gain the foothold in the increasingly tight market for Arizona sports, uh, sports fans and their dollars. By the time the D-backs had begun playing at the Bob, Phoenix was now home to Teams in all four major American Pro Sports Leagues. In the expansion draft, the Snakes picked up veteran starting pitchers in Brian Anderson and Jeff Supan with their first two picks. After the draft, they traded several of their prospects they had selected for veterans like uh, Tigers third baseman Travis Fryman and Florida Marlins outfielder Devon White. During the 1997-1998 offseason, the Snakes acquired two of the most high-profile, high-priced players available on the market, in shortstop Jay Bell, whom they attained as a free agent, and third-base slugger Matt Williams in a trade with the Tribe. And here we come, folks, out of that interdimensional worm. Rolling to this ballpark that is going on 30 years old now. And is one of the stadiums hosting the 2023 World Series right now. And we're going to the bottom of the ninth with Texas holding on to a 3-1 lead. I'm expecting the Clark to come out. There he is. He's warming up. Okay, so when they return, bottom of the ninth. This is the last chance for Arizona to make it work here in game three. And so here we are at the stadium now, home of the 2023 World Series. And it really does kind of look like a uh, a plane, a, a, a hangar for, for an airplane from the outside. Okay, so I'll tell you what, folks, now that we are here, I'm going to let you digest all the backstory information I've given you on the political and financial maneuvering that took place to get the Diamondbacks into the MLB fraternity. And when I get back from the break, I'll give you some of the architectural facts behind this ball yard and her influences and so much more. BRB C Meds, please support the grassroots sponsors that support your grassroots baseball pod. Rose Hand Cleaner, no more no smelly hands. BRB, see you on the other side of the break.
0: Say baseball isn't like it used to be. They're right. It's faster. Younger. Harder. It's una nueva generación.
1: The kids are here.
0: And we play loud. We baseball history. Howdy, y'all. It's the Pod Squad, Gage Geek, executive producer of the Backwards K Pod. For the last few months, I've been telling you about our sponsor, Rapparose Hangouts, a powerful trifecta of products that eliminates fish, seafood, and bait odors as well as the spices on your hands from steamed crabs and delicious crawfish boils, and now this amazing grassroots company has added a buffalo wing hand cleaner. These are the only soaps and wipes on the planet specifically formulated to be used after eating spicy food or after a long day of fishing. Not only does the fish and hand cleaner get rid of bait bumps, crawfish hand cleaner, clean hand cleaner removes the spicy bumps around your mouth and on your hands. An ingenious invention by a retired Navy shipmate of Jacob. So he is family, folks. And one thing we do at the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network is take care of family. Till the end of September, Laparose Hand Cleaner is offering all VKP listeners an amazing deal and hopes you give them a shot. It's a buy one, get one free deal, hot wing hand cleaner wipes, fishing hand cleaner wipes, or soap, seafood hand cleaner. Buy one, get one. Only advertised products on Backwoods case Pod that Jake and I believe in and use personally. After ripping up the golf course and watching football, there's nothing I love more than throwing some bait in the water and cracking a cold, Bud Head. You can check out these amazing products by going to crawfishhandcleaner.com or you can call the home offices at 713-588-0290. To get that BOGO deal, please use the code Summer 23. For your fishing vacation you're planning or the shellfish buffalo wing feast you're preparing, get yourself this groundbreaking product to protect you from smelly, spicy hands. That's CrawfishHandCleaner.com or call 713 588 0290. For the buy one, get one deal, use promo code SUMMER23. Fishing along the bank of your favorite river and listening to DKT sounds like a great idea. In fact, came hey up. where am I? I'm John Fisher
1: The chance of a lifetime for Luis Gonzalez. 2-2, bottom of the ninth. Game 7 of the World Series. Bases loaded. Infield in. One out. Strike one. one problem is Rivera throws inside the left-handers. And left-handers get a lot of broken, bad hits in the shallow outfield.
0: The shallow part of the outfield. That's the danger in bringing the infield in with a guy like Rivera on the mound. Yeah, don't affect me
2: The Backwards came Pod Where we not only collect Ball players and their stories We also collect ballparks in and their stories And ironically After some divine baseball Providence We are covering the history of Chase Field This week as I Simultaneously watched game 3 Of the 2023 World Series Between the Texas Rangers And the Arizona Diamondbacks At Chase Field and I tell you guys all the time, baseball is like this living, breathing entity that takes on a life of its own sometimes. I could have never anticipated when I was penciling in this show last November that the Snakes would be hosting Game 3 of the Fall Classic while I'm spitting out the history of Arizona baseball. In fact, the only reason this show fell on this day is because I accidentally got the order wrong when I did Course Field on our last Modern crip show. Chase Field was completed before course. So, technically, this should have been the day for course. But here I am talking about Chase Field on the night that the Snakes are hosting game three of the World Series. And before I get to back to the story, uh, the game is over. The Texas Rangers now hold a 2 to 1 advantage. Leclerc came in, he blew. Um, uh, umpire had a bad. Bad call that would have been a walk to the lead-up runner, Matero. But uh, he wound up rolling one over to third base. He was the first out. Then uh, Christian Walker, which, look, man, you can't possibly put him in the number four hole, you know, per game four, man. I, you know, you better think about that. I mean, he just does not look like Christian Walker. Uh, he strikes out of the slider down and away, and... Bam, the hottest hitter on the D-backs, he winds up striking out to end the game. So, uh, plus that Christian Walker, second inning, thrown out at home plate. I mean, you've heard the old adage, you don't want to make the first out or the third out at at, uh, third base. You definitely don't want to make the first out at third at home plate, for sure, for sure. So, you know, I I think Lobulo's going to have to make a little adjustment there. And... Before I broke up for the break, I basically gave you the rundown on the history of baseball in the state of Arizona pre Diamondbacks era. From the still flourishing Cactus League spring training to the pride in Arizona State University baseball to the Arizona Fall League highlighting top shelf liquor MLB prospects on the cusp. And I've covered from the oldest to youngest stadiums. Fenway Park, all the way up here to Chase Field, the ballpark in the Valley of the Sun, and the one major difference between the older throwback ribs as opposed to these modern-day cathedrals—that's bureaucratic red tape. Back in the day, the Red Sox or the Cubs or the New York Gi- Giants wanted a stadium. The owners went out and acquired the land and built the classics in literally months after breaking ground. And I'm amazed doing this show and understanding that stadiums used to go up fast and fairly reasonably priced with very little opposition from local politicians and community leaders. But once you added public financing into the equation, it changed everything about the stadium construction landscape. So after squabbling over costs, taxes, and location for 10 years, Phoenix Suns owner Jerry Calangelo secures an MLB franchise, and the team is nicknamed the Diamondbacks. And here we are, folks, home of the 2023 NL champion, Arizona Diamondbacks Chase Field. On July 17, 1994, L.B. Beckett's design is selected for the structure that stands before you right now. These were the same designers who had given us Atlantis, uh, Atlanta's Olympic Stadium, the Rose Garden of Portland, Oregon, Boston's Fleet Center, as well as the construction of Madison Square Garden in New York City. The design was for a retractable roof with natural grass, the first stadium of its kind in the United States. The stadium site was selected, and it stands just south of Jefferson Street and west of... Of 7th Street. The construction manager for the project was a firm of Huber, Hunt, and Nichols. And even though all the new ballparks, baseball parks being built in the 90s up to this point were all open air cribs, a, a dome stadium is a must in Phoenix as it is by far. The hottest major city in all of North America. The average temperature during baseball's regular season is 99.1 degrees Fahrenheit or 37.3 degrees centigrade. And game time temps average out to about, you know, sometimes 100 degrees Fahrenheit or 38 degrees centigrade. You know, it's common to play in that kind of weather in that state. It was... The third yard to have a retractable roof. And it was the first in the United States. At the time, the only two retractable roofs in baseball were in Canada at the Rogers Center. And the Stadia Olympique in Montreal. And that thing never fucking worked. I I talked about that at the Death of the uh, Expo show. You can find that on ThomasDickCake.Poppy.com. Or wherever you listen to your pods. Since Chase Field... The Juice Box sprang up in Houston, American Family Field in Milwaukee, Globe Life Field in Arlington, Texas, T-Mobile Park in Seattle, and Lone Depot Park in Miami have taken hold to our baseball conscience. So check this out. 85% of Chase Field's 48,569 seats are located between the foul poles. There are 69 luxury suites located in the middle concourse level, as well as six additional party suites. The roof opens to various positions to make sure a proper amount of sunlight hit the field without heating all the concrete and metal inside the stadium. This allows the ballpark to cool quickly and efficiently, in theory. I'll come back to the roof in a bit. With the roof closed, the minimum height over the playing field is 180 feet, and it is 200 feet at its highest point. 100 feet is equivalent to 54.864 meters, and 200 feet is 60.96 meters. The press box is 17,000 square feet of -of state-of-the-art technology to accommodate the local electronic and print media. There's also an amazing labyrinth of practice facilities within the structure, including batting cages and pitching mounts. A 1,500 car garage is constructed adjacent to the ballpark, and there are approximately 18,000 parking spaces within a 15-minute walk from the field. And that's according to the data I found that was presented by the Maricopa County Stadium District. It was originally named Bank One Ballpark, or... The Bob, for short Which I thought was kind of cool back then The name was changed To Chase Field on September 23rd 2005 After Bank One merged with J.P. Morgan Chase and Company In 2004 In March of 1996 The team announced that The ticket range for Single season games that opening year Will range from $1 To $50 A little over a month later, the club announces that the Bob will include a swimming pool beyond the right center field fence that can be rented out during games. Mark Grace would be the first player to baptize a home run ball in that said swimming pool. On May 30th, 1996, the 1,200 ton steel roof truss or 1,088.6217 metric tons is raised 174 feet 53.0352 meters into the air, providing the first structure for her retractable roof there. By August 8th, the final piece of structured steel is put in place to complete the roof line of Chase Field. On January 10th, 1998, the inaugural open today tickets go on sale and they sell out by noon. Jerry Colangelo and county officials break bottles of sparkling wine over the railings of the Rotunda, culminating the official dedication ceremony of the new stadium. On March 29, 1998, despite the rainy weather, Diamondbacks fans get their first taste of their own Major League Baseball team, as well as the amenities of a retractable roof, keeping them dry as the Snakes play their first game in the new crib. A three to nothing loss to the White Sox to close out their very first spring training camp. On March thirty first, nineteen ninety-eight, my twenty-seventh birthday by the way. Man oh man, has it really been that fucking long, twenty-seven years old. March thirty first, nineteen ninety-eight, the D-Backs host their regular their first regular season game with the Bob, defeating the Colorado Rockies nine to two before fifty thousand one hundred and seventy-nine rabbit fans. Andy Bennis was the first starting pitcher to be credited with a win in club history. And first baseman Travis Lee had a day collecting the first hit in club history with a single in the first. He also hit the first dong in chase history, scored the first run in snakes history, and had the first RBI in the club's history. The first no-hitter ever tossed at the park came June 25th, 1999, at the hands of Cardinals rookie Jose Jimenez as The Snakes and Randy Johnson were defeated 1-0, despite Unit striking out 14 cards and pitching a complete game. And yeah, the Diamondbacks have Randy Johnson on their roster a year after their first season in club history, folks. I'm going to hit on that in a bit, but it's interesting to note that Unit himself would toss a no-hitter to Braves in 2004 at Atlanta.
1: Game time at Turner Field. Randy Johnson is ready to tow the rubber. Jesse Garcia leads it off against him. That one bought it. And Brand going to make the tag. Here's the 0-2 pitch. Going in a miss. strike three. There's one. 2-2 pitch. And the inning is over. High drive. One out. Johnny's got a pretty good hitter when he's got two strikes on him. Strikeout number three. Four strikeouts in the game for the Big throw. He's to there. From charges, throws Nice play by Alex. Five strikeouts for Johnson. See you later. Wow. Nobody bigger than the big unit. Look at the buddy. big boy tonight. Seven strikeouts. 12 up, 12 down from the front four. Johnson okays a sign, and again a 1-2. Danny is there. To a lane. On is there We you to the sixth. Caffer left side. Gracie throws out there. Will should have the sixth center. He's him out of the slider. Caffer towards short. Charging hard. She from the throw. Down. One away the Philly, him out, the Ground ball, right side. down oh, by Randy Johnson. the One ninety seven He is one out away from a perfect game, and the crowd stands in turn it Oh, Tommy, I can't breathe.
2: That was very impressive. I still remember that game all these years later. I mean, he was just so dominant that, that, that night. I mean, hey, it wasn't even, a, it was a perfect game. No, no. So, you know, I know that wasn't in Chase Field, but that is definitely a source of pride for Diamondbacks fans to this day, having a native of Phoenix throw that perfect game no-hitter against, now yeah, the Atlanta Braves, pretty good fucking team right there. Snake second baseman, Tony Womack. Hit the first inside-the-park home run in the stadium's history on July 21st, 1999. A grand slam against Astros closer Billy Wagner. The hit gave the Snakes the lead, and they would win 7-4. to four. And uh, he probably thought that would be his biggest hit in Arizona history, but you know we know in retrospect, not even close. Two years later, he will hit at this point probably the second biggest hit in club history. So, just two years after establishing this team in Arizona, the Bob hosted its first postseason game versus the New York Mets. Randy Johnson took the collar as Edgardo Alfonso smacks a grand slam to lead the Amazons to an 8-4 to win in front of 49,584 fans. The playing field, like Coors Field, is actually... 25 feet below street level. If all the trucks that were used to haul excess dirt away during construction were parked end-to-end, the convoy line would stretch from Chase Field to Flagstaff, Arizona, and then extend another 60 miles along Interstate 40. The east and west trusses that hold up the roof each contain 2.4 million pounds of steel and were lifted 175 feet or 53.34 meters straight up with the help of four hydraulic jacks, each with a lifting capacity of 400 tons. The roof itself is comprised of 9 million pounds of structural steel And it used the same technology found in drawbridges and uh, overhead uh, traveling cranes. A pair of 200 horsepower motors opened and closed the roof in slightly more than four minutes, utilizing four miles of cable strung throughout the pulley system. Half of the roof consists of three movable trusses, which telescopes over a fixed end of the truss. The east and west layers of roof can operate independently or in concert with one another. And when the roof is fully retracted, the opening has a 5.5-acre footprint. There was enough concrete used in the project that you could build a 4-foot-wide sidewalk from Phoenix, Arizona to San Diego, California. When the sod was initially laid... It took an entire crew three days to install 110,000 square feet, enough to cover three acres. 8,000 tons of air conditioning is used to keep the climate bearable. The system is designed to bring the temperature down by 30 degrees in three hours. It's enough air conditioning to cool off 2,500 houses of 1,600 square feet. The air handlers push 1.2 million cubic feet of air permitted across coils containing water chilled to 48 degrees, which is several degrees cooler than your average air conditioner in your uh, Arizona residential system. For the first time in the history of Major League Baseball, the World Series comes to Arizona after a mere three years of existence. On October 27th, 2001 the New York Yankees looking for a fourth straight chip to bring back to their city which is still grieving after the 9-11 attacks goes into the bob and are thoroughly dominated by Curt Schilling's seven strong innings pitched leading the Snakes to a game one 9-1 victory to take a one-and-nothing lead in the series and we'll have to see how this 2023 World Series shakes out the Raiders are taking a 2-1 lead today. But the biggest moment in Chase Field history occurred on November 4th, 2001. And an ending made for Hollywood. And one of the greatest games in Game 7 World Series history. The kind of game where I still remember exactly where I was when I saw it. When With when the game tied in the top of the 8th, Yankee second baseman Alfonso Soriano... Hits a game-breaking solo blast to give the New York Yankees the lead. And with the greatest postseason closer on the mound and Mariano Rivera for the Yankees. The Snakes mount an impossible comeback for the ages of the night. Culminated by the Tony Womack double to tie the game. And Luis Gonzalez who hit a 120-foot chip shot into shallow center field to score Jay Bell from third, to win the Major League Baseball Championship. Kurt Schilling was stellar as the starting pitcher of that game, but the win was collected by Randy Johnson when he came in just one day removed from pitching in Game 6 to complete the miracle over the Dynastic Yankees. Johnson and Schilling would be voted as co-MVPs of that World Series. On November 7th, the D-backs... And the city of Phoenix hold a parade downtown with over 400,000 people in attendance, with 50,000 people invading the crib for a rally after the parade. And even though the Snakes are in the World Series right now doing their best to bring another title home to Phoenix, uh, there are a lot of uncertainties about Chase Field's future and viability of the market. If the Snakes cannot find ways to fund much needed upgrades for their home, the team could be breaking ground on the new stadium foundation somewhere else in the valley. Snakes president and CEO Derek Hall has openly lobbied for support from Maricopa County and the city of Phoenix in the form of public funds for renovations. With the club lease on the crib expiring in 2027, the clock to ensure the D backs survival at Chase Field is an inching closer to midnight. For the past two seasons, the team has been able, unable to uh, consistently open or close the roof. And, well, actually, they've, had, they've been up, unable to open or close the roof with fans in the building due to safety hazards. Uh, the roof leaks really bad, especially at home plate and at the pitcher's mound. Like, the two places you definitely do not want it to leak, right? The years of opening and closing the roof have slowly but surely compromised the system. Lights have begun to burn out and flicker across the yard. And the air conditioner system, even though it's a beast, it needs an upgrade as well. Current snakes pitcher Meryl Kelly, who shut the Rangers down in game two, said the stadium was so hot during a game in September, he had to change jerseys partway through a start, and he also believes that the intense heat contributed to cramps he experienced during starts this year. The team has acknowledged that the field is showing her age, but they also have been steadfast in their desire to remain in downtown Phoenix. Whether that's in a refurbished chase field or something new, But the solution to her woes could ultimately lead to relocation after the renovation. And folks, I think this is where I'm going to wrap this puppy up. I've never been to Chase Field. I had a lot of fun learning about her fruition and the history of baseball in Arizona. I want to thank you all for stopping by while I pontificate the seams. And I know I was a little distracted with the World Series tonight, so I promise, Freaks, I'll try to be better next week. So, before I bounce out of here like a bad check, get you back to terrible station to your loved ones, patiently waiting for you, let's take one more look at the latest ballpark in our collection and wrap this joint up. Okay, let's see what we have here. Chase Field, formerly known as the Bomb or Bank One Ballpark until Bank One merged with JP Morgan Chase Bank in 2004. The address is 401 East Jefferson Street in Phoenix, Arizona. So, if you're in the Phoenix metro area, launch your drones and set the course for 33 30 degrees, 26 feet, 43 inches north by 112 degrees, 4 feet, and 1 inch west. And hover that bad boy over one of, if not, the tallest building in the city, the incomparable Chase Field. You have the Valley Metro Rail going westward and eastward bound for public transit. The Maricopa County Stadium District are the owners, and it currently has a seating capacity of 48,405 people. That field pole sits at 330 feet from the dish, or 101 meters. Left center field, power alley 374 feet, 114 meters. Left center field is the deepest part of the park, hitting 413 feet or 126 meters. Center field, straight center field, 407 feet, 124 meters. Right center field, same as uh, left center field, 413 feet. Right center field, power alley is 374, same as the power alley on left. And the right field foul pole is 334 feet from the plate, or 102 meters. The surface was originally grass, but in 2018, the club went to Show Sports P1K Astro turn and broke ground November 16, 1995, over March 31, 1998, at a cost of $354 million, which is around $636 million to get All that money, 230 million million, came from public funds, through a quarter cent sales tax, and the remainder of the cost was covered by the D Chase was the host of the 2011 Major League Baseball All Star Game, which the National League won eight to one. I'm sorry, five to one. The Solar Pavilion in front of the yard will generate 75 kilowatts of solar power. And that's enough electricity to power 8 to 10 homes. Chase Mield has hosted WBC first round games in 2006, 2013, and more recently, 2023. The field is now the official host of the NCAA football, Insight.com Bowl. The stadium has staged nine women's college basketball games. Black Sabbath, NSYNC, Kenny Chesney. Billy Joel, Bad Bunny, Elton John, Morgan Wallen, Pink, Guns N' Roses, Billy Joel, they've all headline concerts there. The WWE Royal Rumble on June 27th, uh, 1999, at went Chase Field, and uh, Luis Gonzalez had his number 20 retired for prosperity for his Clutch World Series hit back in 2001. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, seamen of all ages, this is the story of Chase Field, home of the Arizona Diamondbacks. And I'm so grateful to have a platform to collect this story, and I'm most certainly grateful for the greatest baseball podcast audience a fella could ever ask for. If you'd like to get a hold of me, I ain't heard of pod. My website is com. The show email is backwardskpod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at back underscore k underscore podcast. I also have some things brewing at backwardskpod on TikTok and YouTube. By all means, stop by, give me a subscription or a follow. But I'm usually hanging out with my band of Mary Seameds at the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network private Facebook group page answer the questions, and come on in. So, I'm ready to get you free Uh, uh, back to Terrapin Station. I will never charge you for the baseball content here at Backwards K-Pod. No Patreon, no Twitch, no pay-to-play subscriptions. I'm just going to keep coming through every Tuesday with that free baseball smoke. You don't want that smoke. And I'm going to keep it consistent like Ken Griffey Jr., baby. And with the Chase Field Show... Nicely folded up and added to our stadium wing here at BKP. I see it's getting smaller and smaller in my rearview mirror. And I now turn my attention to I never say die, baseball, Hydra. And I chop. The head of that beast. Only to see two more baseball topics appear in its place. Next week, we are going to the nation's capital. The district. And... I will be unraveling the story of the big trade, the great the Walter Johnson. Sounds fun. I'm shopping at the bit already. I can't wait to be all over that, like flies on shit, baby. But look, y'all know the deal. That's another story for another pod here at Backwards K-Pod, where
0: we collect
2: ballplayers and their stories. Parents, if you see your kid, they're sitting on the couch like a bored AF. By all means, take those monkeys outside and play a game of catch. Thank y'all for coming out. God bless and win the day. And like my boy, Shay Hillebrand, told me in our one on one sparring session in the dojo last year, you go to hell, Pettit. Straight to hell. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200, you demon Southpaw. I love you, Briggs. See you next week with the big train. I'm throwing up my Gunnar Henderson, y'all. My deuces. Peace.